The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. All right, thank you. Be seated. <clears throat> thank you for a great time of worship. Well, I'm just warning you, it's time to roll. I uh, typically have about five or six pages of notes for the average length of my sermon. And this morning, when I woke up for one last re- review of my sermon, I think I was at like 16 pages. And so I spent all morning just cut, 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 cut. So hopefully I won't lose you because usually if there's too much information, it's clouded and confusing. And so my prayer has been this morning, Lord, just clarify, clarify what we're trying to do here this morning. And so as we look at this text, um, we come to a passage today where we see God telling Joshua to find courage to fulfill his calling. Uh, Joshua is facing the calling of his life, the most daunting task he's ever faced, and he's trembling in his leadership boots. I mean, he is terrified for what God has called him to do. And in this text, we're going to see how God responds in order to give him the courage to be successful in the calling that God has on his life. So I wonder where you are today. I wonder if... As you come in this morning, maybe you are facing something that is in your circumstances terrifying. When I talk about God's calling, try not to get distracted by... uh, A lot of times we get distracted by the concept of calling and what does that mean about God's mysterious will. Let's just put all that aside right now and let's just talk about the fact... You know God's called you to do something and it scares the living daylights out of you. That's where we are. Joshua's not wrestling with what God wants him to do. Joshua is wrestling with the courage to do it. So where are you today? What is it that is in your life that you have been putting off? You've been uh, staying busy with this so you don't have to think about that. um, Or it's just paralyzed you with fear. Well, my prayer is that today the Lord helps you, helps me, helps us face our own battle with fear to find the courage to begin walking in God's promises. Lord, we ask for your help this morning. Lord, human words are not enough. We need you to move by your spirit through the proclamation of your scriptures to equip our hearts with what we need, the courage to obey you, the courage to be faithful. Give us strength and courage this morning as we see how you did that with Joshua. And it's in Christ that I ask all these things. Amen. All right, so we're going to break this passage. We're going to look at the whole chapter. I kind of end up just giving lip service to the last half of the chapter because I think that's the only way I can get through it uh, in due time. But we're working through the whole chapter, chapter 1, and we're going to look in two things. We're going to look at Joshua's calling, and then we're going to consider Joshua's courage. What is Joshua's calling? Well, if you remember last week, we saw in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. And so as the story of the Bible unfolds, this is a huge climactic point. Joshua is finally going to get to lead God's people, Israel, into this land that God promised them. And so Joshua is 
first of all, scared to death because he is supposed to fill the shoes of Moses. Are you kidding me? Who is Moses? Moses' whole life was a miracle. He was put into a reed basket as the firstborn kids were commanded by the leader of the government to be killed. His life was spared. God, God's hand was on Moses from the very beginning. That's not fair. How can I step into those shoes, Joshua is thinking. Moses was raised up to lead God's people out of their bondage and slavery. God said, I'll be with you, Moses. God, God met with Moses face to face as face to face as anyone can meet with God. Moses did that. God marched Moses right into Pharaoh's palace. Moses stood toe to toe with Pharaoh and said, you're going to let my people go. And Moses said, uh, no, I'm not. And I have all the armies of Egypt to prove it. And Moses won. Moses led the people. And how did it happen? Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, plague after plague after plague, culminating in Moses holding his staff and the sea parted. How can you compete with that? Who would want to follow Moses? It's like asking me to follow Jerry Planchock as an elder. It's not going to happen. God had used Moses in incredible ways. And now Moses is dead. And Moses failed to lead them into the promised land. If he can't do it, nobody can do it. Is what Josh was thinking. If that wasn't enough, if it wasn't enough to be that impossible place where you're comparing yourself to someone who clearly is more gifted, more talented, more skilled, more experienced, everything, think about the people. He's called to lead the people of Israel. That sounds good, the people of God. That shouldn't be hard. They're the people of God. Well, so far, the whole point of the story as it relates to the people of God, the details that we have recorded in our Bible up to this point has been for one purpose, is to show you how incredibly gracious and merciful God is that he did not destroy these fickle, stubborn people. And so you know Joshua's going, God, these are the fickle, stiff-necked people. There's no way I can lead them. These are the people that Moses had to beg you not to wipe them out because as you were giving them the command, don't worship idols, they're whipping up a beautiful golden calf and they're worshiping the idols. You yourself were ready to wipe them out, but Moses said, whoa, you want me to lead them? These people are idiots. I can't lead them. Oh, they, they were so happy when you do miracles. But the second they get hungry, the second they get a little thirsty, all the glory days back in Egypt. God, why don't you send us back to Egypt where we were beaten to near death? This is the people you want me to lead. They're whiners, they're complainers, they're fickle, they're stiff-necked, they're stubborn sinners. I, I can't lead these people. What about the land? 
In Joshua 1, 2, he is told, Arise, cross this Jordan. You and all these people will lead, it. You will lead these people into the land which I am giving them this, to the sons of Israel. And then in verse 4, he gives the geographic boundaries of this land. Listen to the boundaries of this land. According to the Africa Bible commentary, the territory would cover the current political boundaries of modern Israel, the whole of Jordan, a large part of Saudi Arabia, half of Iraq, Iraq, the whole of Lebanon, part of Syria, and the whole of Kuwait. No big deal, right? Go conquer that territory. And if the geographic immensity of this territory wasn't enough, we know how this land was described in the book of Numbers, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 27, when the spies came back a generation ago, having spied out the land, they came back to give the report to Moses and the people. Here's what the land is like. It says, we went into the land where you sent us and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. And they hold up this awesome fruit. They're like, yeah, this land rocks. But we don't need to try to take this land. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And Joshua was sitting there as a wee little man going, I think we can do it. I think we can do it. Because he was one of the two spies that went and came out. And the ten are going, no, we can't. And Moses and the people listened to the majority report that said, they are too big and too fortified and too scary. We can't do it. Now, shoes on Joshua's feet. Joshua, take them into the land. Oh, wait a minute. I know I talked a big game back then, but now I'm the leader. They're too big. They're too fortified. They're too vast. This is an impossible task that you're calling me to, God. So here we see Joshua's particular calling, unique to his life. Fill the shoes of one of the greatest leaders of all time. Lead one of the most stubborn People, a nation of people into a land that is fortified with vast armies that are big and strong. No wonder he's shaken. No wonder he's afraid. No wonder he feels like this is impossible. We know he was afraid in verse 6 that God tells him, be strong and courageous, Joshua. In verse 7, God tells him, be strong and very courageous, Joshua. In verse 9, again, he tells him, be strong and courageous. At the end of verse 9, he says, do not tremble or be dismayed. Don't think these Bible heroes were superhuman. Joshua is scared to death. To do what God's clearly called him to do. Just like you and I get. When you know God's told you to do something. And it just shakes you to the core. As Christians we all have callings from God. None of us has been called to follow Moses' leadership. And lead God's people into the promised land. But every single one of us has been called by God. 
And when we think about the calling of God, we get confused. But let me just try to simplify it in two ways to think about it. The general calling and the particular calling. The general calling of God is the calling that every follower of Christ has the same calling in common. You can use different phrases to describe this general calling that every single person in here has. And it's the same calling in the garden scene. It's the calling to worship God, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with worshipers. Later, it's described as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor. This fulfills the will of God. Or even later, as Jesus commands his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. All of us are called to be disciples and to make disciples. All of us are called to be faithful to everything God has commanded in our lives. All of us share that same general calling. But then we live our unique lives. And through a combination of education and opportunities and circumstances and gifts and talents and passions, we find through a difficult, challenging process of making decisions of A or B or C. But therein lies our unique, particular calling that God has for our life. And we all stand, whether we think of the general calling that we all share, or in particular, a unique calling into a certain circumstance, we have been called by God. In general, every man, for example, is called to be, if you are married, to be a man of God who leads your wife to Jesus. A man of God who leads your family to obey the will of God, to worship God. This is your calling All men share that calling. Or to pick on ladies, ladies, every woman has been called by God to be a sacrificial, generous giver to the works of the gospel ministry in support of God's plans and purposes to let go of the money that you find safety and security in. Or students... Wherever you are, wherever you go to school, God has called you in that place as a follower of Christ to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been called. We've been called to be honest, to tell the truth, to have integrity, to walk in obedience in every area of our life, to make disciples, to represent Christ well, to live lives worthy of the calling. We've been called to holiness, to faithfulness, to patience, to kindness, to gentleness. And every single day, these callings come and we face a river before us and a vast army against us. And we have the calling of God. And many of us stand there like Joshua, trembling. God, give me the courage to obey. So what do we do? 
Where do we find the strength and the courage that we need to fulfill our callings? How are we successful in what God has called us to do? We see God's answers in the remaining passages in verse 7 through 9 is the heart of chapter 1. It will be mostly our focus. Listen to what God says to Joshua as he trembles, considering what God has called him to do. God says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And if I was Joshua, as I'm trembling on the edge of the the river, the greatest, most challenging, most fearful thing in my life, facing vast armies, and God takes the first five books of the Bible, the book of the law, and he puts it in my hands, I would say, What good does this do for me? How does this help me fight battles, God? I need a military plan. I need a boat. I need, I can't measure up to Moses. Are you kidding me? And you give me five little books? You need to get real here. I need something practical. I need something relevant. I don't need something about way back three, thirty five hundred, four thousand years ago. I've got real problems in real life today, and that's what you give me? How in the world? Why does God give Joshua a Bible and say, This is the key to your success? That's what's going on here. The heart of Joshua, in fact, the heart of of the, the book of Joshua. In fact, the heart of the Bible is that the word of God is what God's people need to successfully fulfill the calling of God. Let me just tell you a little nerdy point here that is so exciting to nerds like me. That when the Bible was put together, it was put together in three sections in the Hebrew Bible. First section Section, second section, third one. In between those two divisions at the seams where all those come together, there's two passages. Joshua 1, eight. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall be careful. Meditate on it and do everything that it's written. Then you will have success. The other seam is Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who meditates on the word of God day and night. The message is clear. If you want to be successful in the Christian life, your secret to success is meditating, chewing on, reading, understanding, memorizing, talking about, teaching, discussing, and obeying the word of God. How in the world does the word of God solve his problems? Well, let's consider that. In these verses, God gives Joshua 
a new perspective on his situation. And that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God gives us God's perspective on our situation. Think about what Joshua is focused on. He's focusing on himself and how he doesn't compare to Moses and how there's no way I can do what you've called me to do. I'm no Moses. God says, that's right. He's focused on the people and their obstinance and their difficulties and their fickleness and their disobedience. And God says, that's not the right thing to be thinking about. He's focused on the enemy and the difficulty and the challenges and the the land, the vastness of. And God says, that's not what I want you to think about. I want you to think about one thing. And what does God say to him in these verses? The key phrase he says is in verse 9. Have I not commanded you? That's all you need to know. That's all that matters. Have I commanded you? Now what? That, that, that just rang my bell all week. What does that mean? Have I not commanded you? I, not commanded you. I, could, I could hear it several ways. Have I not commanded you? You better step up. I was like, yeah, that's probably there. Or... Have I? Have I commanded you? Because if I haven't commanded you, you don't want to go there. Some of us need to hear that. We launch off into these great things we're going to do for God, and God's going, have I commanded you to do that? No wonder you're scared to death. I didn't tell you to do that. What he's saying is, I, God, says, Have I not commanded you? I got this. So as we open the word of God and we meditate on it, and we, you can't take Joshua 1, 8 and 7, 8 and 9, and I I could spend weeks on every word and how day or night means constantly, how meditate is what a cow does with its cud. It chews it. This is gross. Chews it, swallows it, throws it back up, chews it some more, swallows it. That's what a cow does. That's ruminating on it. That's what you're supposed to do with the word of God. We're supposed to think about it, eat it, swallow it, bring it back up when we need it, over and over, talk about it, teach it, understand it, live it, breathe it, know what it is about. Know the God of the Bible and the Bible of God. And when we do that, when we read the word of God, and I mean study it, Get help understanding it. It's not easy to understand the whole message of the Bible. And there's brilliant people. And these bookshelves are filled with tools to help you. And this church is here to help you. But the word of God reminds us of God's perspective. Of who God is. And his faithfulness. And his purposes. And his plans. And how all throughout history he has been doing these things. So if Joshua, as apparently he did... He took his Bible and he sat on a rock and he started reading it. And he starts, oh, God is the creator. God created this land. God created these people. God created me. And God created me knowing I'm no Moses. But God who created me, who created this river, who created this land, who created those people has chosen to call me to do this. 
And this God promised, oh, in Genesis 12, this is the land that God promised he was going to give Abraham. This is the reason Moses brought the people out of Egypt. Because God said he was going to get those people in this land. And so he sees the plans and the purposes of God. And he says, I'm nothing. This isn't about me. This is about God and what he's doing. And me as just a simple, obedient servant, I have a role to play in the overarching plan of God. I can do this. And so God's word reminds us of God's perspective. God's word reminds us of God's promises. That God has promised that he would get those people in this land. And I know that if I am obeying God, I am aligned with the purposes and the will of God. I know all the full power of his promises and his presence are with me. That's why it all hinges on, have I not commanded you? Knowing you're walking in God's plans and in God's purposes, you know you have the full faith of the promises of God on your side. In verse 3, God says to Joshua, I have given the land to you. And he's like, I ain't even crossed the river yet. It's yours. Do what? Yeah, the land is yours. You think I'm going to... Stop now because of you. I've been doing all this to get those people in that land. All you got to do is obey me. And I got it. That land's yours. It's, land, it's done. You just need to start walking and I'll take care of the rest. I promise. These verses are filled with the promises of God. Look again with me. Just scan through verses 1 through 5. The promises of God just leaping off the page. In verse 2, God calls the land, the land which I am giving to Israel. In verse 3, he says, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Just as I told Moses, I promised Moses. In verse 4, God says, this will be your territory. In verse 5, he says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As we saw last week, God promised Abraham to give him this land and the whole story of the Bible thus far has been God faithfully delivering on his promise to get them to that land. They are a massive seed from one seed who Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids. And God said, you're going to have kids. All right. Now they're a massive family, but they're not in their land yet. And so God has promised and that should give Joshua, great strength and courage to know he is just simply walking in the plans and promises of God. So God's word gives us perspective, our eyes off ourself and on God and his plans and purposes. God's word reminds us of all the full promises of God and God's word reminds us of God's presence. In verse five, we see 
He say that you will have success. You'll be able to stand. No one will be able to stand against you. Why? Because just as I just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. And that is why we should have courage. The same promises all throughout the scriptures. Jesus said to his followers, Lo, I am with you, even to the ends of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The word of God reminds us, when we're walking in obedience to God, it's all about God doing what God wants to do and who can stand against God. That's perhaps the most comforting words in the Bible. I am with you, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I cannot tell you how many nights you think the sun is not going to rise. And that's what gets me through it. I am with you, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I know there's a lot of people who feel that way. For some of us, the biggest river to cross is just be faithful another day. God says to Joshua, I will be with you wherever you go. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. And God is saying that to you today. Whatever your particular calling is, Whatever causes you to think, I can't do this, God. You need the word of God so that you see you're walking with God and he is faithful. The final gift that I don't have time to cover is the people of God. In the final verses, we see that two and a half of the 12 tribes were promised by Moses. You guys can have, they're like, can we have the east side of the river? And everybody else have the rest. And Moses is like, typical. It's easier over there. But no, yeah, you can settle in that land, but the warriors, the men of your family, settle them down and then you're going to come back and you're going to help all your brothers settle the land because we are in this together. As Christians, you have the people of God to remind you of the word of God. You and I need community. We need relationships with the people of God to say the word of God is true. God is faithful. Has God not commanded you? Has God ever failed you? And to remind you that God is faithful. You can do this. Just take steps of obedience people of God with the word of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So in these verses, we see the key to having the courage to fulfill our calling is the word of God that helps us know that what we're doing is actually obedience to God. And then as we know with certainty that God has called me to do this, 
to open my mouth and share Jesus with a friend, to lead my family in Bible study when I, as a man, know I can't even find the books of the Bible without the table of contents, and my wife has done Bethmore Bible studies for 20 years. And you want me to lead my family? Really? God says, have I not commanded you? I will be with you wherever you go. And so you say, family, we're going to have devotions at three o'clock and your mother's going to lead the discussion. (laughs) And you set the tone in the house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Whatever it is, whatever that river is, whatever that vast fortified army that you are facing is, God says, open the word of God, make sure that you understand it so that your life is aligned with my plans and my purpose, that what I am calling you to do is what I called you to do. And if I called you to do it, will I not be with you? Will I not be faithful? Will I ever let you down? Have I ever let you down? Have I ever let my people down? I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Step up and obey my word. Oh, I got too much to say. As I think about... September of 2004. Oh, we were so clueless. All we knew was God was saying, plant a church. I remember in seminary, they said, there's a guy coming to talk about church planning. If you think you'll ever plant a church, just come to the lunch and he's going to give you a free lunch. And I was like, I'm out of here. I ain't ever going to plant a church. God told us, plan a church. What? What? And plant one that's serious about faithfulness to the word of God. What? That's the worst thing you want to do if you want to start from scratch. Tell people that if you join, we're going to serve together and we're going to be in community together and we're going to study the word together and we're going to hold each other accountable to obedience to the word of God. That is a recipe for failure. Meet in your living room, five families. Push play on a I worship DVD. Boy, that'll bring them in. We gathered and we prayed and we opened the Bible and we just said, God, we don't know what we're doing. We just want to be faithful. And so one day at a time, one little decision at a time, we, we end up having people come. Someone, family comes, another family comes. And so then we're outgrowing our living room. And so we go to the country store, two doors down the market, where when I'm, As a preacher, I didn't think about that part. Start a church. Well, guess what? That means you're going to preach. Oh, yeah. Never thought about that. So here I am trying to figure out how to start a church. Never done that before. Trying to learn how to preach. Never done that before. And I'm doing it in a country store with refrigerators and coolers with motors that are so loud and squeaky that nobody can hear me anyway. 
And construction workers are coming in during church, buying their beer and looking at us like, what are y'all doing here? And going back to work. And it's crazy. But guess what? Another family showed up. And another family showed up. And then one day, Miss Bove, I didn't even know her. She drives up into the parking lot and says, are you the pastor? And I was like, yeah. She says, why don't y'all meet in the chapel inside the Glen? I didn't know there was a chapel inside the Glen. She says, yeah, come. And so we moved to the chapel inside the Glen. Another very appealing setting for young families to come to. (laughs) The sound system is what did it all. It was this crackly little end system that was in the acoustical tiles. It was awful. There was a therapy kitty cat that walked in and out of the people's legs as we preached. Everything screamed, you don't want to go here. (laughs) And then I met David Granger and I said, Granger... And I'd say, I'd say it as clearly as I can tell you. I said, you don't understand this, Granger, but you're going to be our worship leader. I knew it. And as Granger would do, a 30-second pause. <laughs> and what makes you think this? And I said, I can't explain it. And he had Pine Lake Church in Mississippi, thousands of people, big budgets, trying to hire him at the same time. And he calls me and says, God told us to go to Norris Ferry. That wasn't my strategy. That was God. We were the first people to use the Performing Arts Center at South Highlands. Brand new facility, 500 seats, beautiful facility. We had about 30 people. God just dropped it in our lap, gave us classrooms, gave us playgrounds, and then our family started growing and coming. And God dropped this land in our lap. My dad calls me and says, there's a piece of land, I'm going to buy it. But if the church wants it, I think the church needs to buy it. And by God's grace, we bought it with cash. And we started raising money. We started saving money. And there's probably 25 committed members and maybe, I don't know, 35, 40 people worshiping in that big old performing arts center at South Highlands. And and we knew it was time to build the land in the community that God had called us to reach. And we had saved every nickel, every penny we could. And we had received pledges. And we were at $400,000 for that little bitty group of people with cooperative help from Southern Baptists. And just a beautiful picture of raising $400,000. And that in itself was a miracle. And despite everything I tried, when all the numbers came down as a former CPA, I knew how this went. And I told them, you stick to the budget of $400,000. And so when the final number came in, it was $600,000. It's like, no. So we needed $200,000 and we'd already squeezed every nickel we had out of ourselves. So what did we do? We didn't get fancy. We just said, let's, let's go to the word of God and let's pray. And let's seek God. And we declared a Wednesday would be a day of fasting as the people of God 
trusting that if God was in this, whenever he decided to do it, it would happen. And we're not going to run ahead of him. And so that Wednesday, with a 200,000 shortfall, I get a series of phone calls. I get a message from an appraiser who said, hey, I decided I'm going to waive y'all's fee. I think that's about 3,000. I get a message from a builder that says, hey, I got like $12,000 worth of dirt. I got to carry off. It helped me to just drop it off at your land, and I think you could use it. 12,000. So we need 185,000. And I get a message. We want to we want to sign a lease for the mineral rights on your property. $85,000 bonus check. So we need $100,000. So I get a phone call. We were fasting that day. And the person on the other line says, we want to take you and your wife to the Cheesecake Factory. I'm like, dog, I'm fasting. (laughs) I said, how about we just come to your house? She said, yeah, let's talk. And I sit down with this couple who's not members of our church. And they hand me an envelope. They say, God told us to give this to you. And it was a check for $100,000. When God is with you, nothing can stop the will of God. So now where we are, a church that has just been trying to step by step be a people about the word of God, to be faithful, to obey what God has called us to do, And every day, his mercies are new. Every day, I see lives changed. Every day, I see God working in marriages and families and people's lives. Every day, people are going to Africa. People are moving to Costa Rica. People are moving to New Orleans to share the gospel. I have no idea. Right now, we've got people meeting in the annex. We met a couple weeks ago and I asked them, what do we need facility-wise? They said, I get, those kids are bursting out of the seams. And in four months, we had 10 babies. That's not hyperbole. That's true. And it's no signs of stopping. Dina says, well, next year alone, I need two new classrooms. All right. Student ministry is exploding. We need more space for the kids to have their space. Second service is packed. We need more worship space. We need offices. We don't have offices. We need to be able to equip people to go. We need more larger budgets to send more people out on the mission field. We've got a huge calling. How in the world, God, are we going to do this? This book of the law shall not depart out of our mouth. But we will meditate on it day and night, and we will be careful to observe everything that is written in this book. And God will be faithful. Let's pray. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I want to...
think about the fact that Joshua was not ultimately the Savior of God's people. Jesus is. Jesus is the great Joshua. Yeshua saves. He is the warrior that we cannot see who defeated sin through his blood on the cross. And by faith in Jesus, we win the ultimate battle. Victory over death and victory over sin. He is to be trusted for eternal life. I know there are people here today who need to trust Christ as their Savior. Call on Him right now. Say yes to Jesus right now. And He will save you and deliver you into His promised land, His promised inheritance, eternal life, forgiveness, and restoration with God, victory over death forever. Ask Him right now to be your Savior. And all of us have been called by our Christ into great battles that terrify us. Whether it's our general calling that is just filled with the commands of scriptures to be honest, to be faithful, to lead our families, to to support the work of the gospel ministry with finances, to obey by opening our mouth, to tell Jesus, our friends about Jesus. Whatever your particular calling is, maybe he's called you to start a new ministry. Maybe he's called you to go on a mission trip. Maybe he's called you to adopt an orphan. Maybe he's called you to be a foster parent. Maybe he's called you to go into the inner cities and to love on those who don't have what they need. Whatever it is, the one question you need to ask, is God commanding this? And if God is commanding it, you can know with certainty that God is with you and God is faithful. And if God is for us, then who could stand against us? Father God, I pray that we as a church, a church made up of a collective group of individuals, pray that we as a church, as a people, as a family of individuals, will be a people of your word. A people that know what you're doing and what you're up to and who you are and how faithful you are so that we can understand that when you call us to do something, we're simply called to walk in obedience and to leave all the rest to you. That each day we take those scary steps of faith that we're going to watch you be the true reason that we have any success at all. Anything you call us to accomplish, that if you've called us to accomplish it, that you will provide. It will not be like we ever imagined. We won't have it all figured out. But we can rest assured each day we take steps of faithful obedience because you are faithful. And you are with us with everything that you've called us to do. And Lord, for so many who are going through tremendous struggles just to stay faithful one more day, 
just to make it through the dark night, clinging for that sun to come up again. May they be comforted, strengthened, encouraged to know they are not alone because you are with them and you will never leave them nor forsake them. May we sing about these truths. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.